Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. Susan Marshall is a mainstay to Memphis soul, rock and roll, and blues music. She's recorded and performed live with such diverse acts as Leonard Skinner, Al Green, Keith Richards, and the Memphis Symphony Orchestra. She's also been the president and trustee of the Memphis chapter of the Recording Academy, among other honors. Oh, she's also recorded five amazing solo albums. I was so thankful to spend a couple hours hanging with her. Here's my friend, Susan Marshall. Susan Marshall, welcome to uh, Thinking and Drinking. What's going on on this fine Sunday afternoon? Well, I'm thinking about drinking. <laughs> Actually. Well, you could take some of that uh, vitamin water and pour a little vodka in it. I've heard that's pretty good. You know, I actually put tequila in it. <laughs> that I've never tried. Oh, it's really good. <laughs> it's really, really good. It's a called little a, alto tequila and a little, a little vitamin water and bam. It's like called like a songwriter. A Memphis sunset. <laughs> so, so I was going to ask you, you are so synonymous with Memphis, Memphis music. Uh, are you actually from Memphis? Were you born in Memphis? No, um, I was born and this really throws people for a loop. <laughs> I was born in Utah. Oh, okay. I don't remember. I don't remember a thing about it. Um, my mom and dad lived there for a little while and, uh, I had, I have, have two older sisters and they're seven and 10 years older than me. So, oh, wow. yeah. So it's, it's, it's almost like I was an only child, but, uh, yeah, yeah I don't, that's where I was born. So, so we, we, while you were in Utah, how long were you in Utah before you, or what brought you to Memphis? Well, um, so my dad was a, a salesman turned into a manager for this company called Litton Industries. Okay. And they were like the first company besides I probably IBM or so I don't know, whatever, just they sold calculators and, you know, things okay. like that, corporations. So he started that there. And then the first day of my life that I actually can recall is when we, the, when we moved to Eugene, Oregon. Oh, wow. And I mean, I must've been like, I don't know, a, a year, almost two years old. So I remember the car door from, you know, our old, we had an Oldsmobile. Nice. <laughs> and I remember that door opening and just, I remember running up to the house. I just remember that so vividly. And, uh, and we lived there for a good while. Hmm. But uh, yep. what got me to Memphis was, you know, my dad kept getting transferred to these okay. other places. So he, after we lived in Eugene for probably six or seven years, then we moved to uh, Whittier, California. My dad worked in Pasadena. Okay. Yeah. And then I think we were only there for about eh, two years, maybe. 
a year, two years. And then we moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Dang. That was weird because yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden, I mean, the forget about the terrain being different. Like, you know, you go from this lush green, like you're so sick of water yeah. every day. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're in this place where it's like, damn, where's the water? I can't you're, you're, you're just praying, water. God, yeah. please bring yeah. us some water. In this desert. It's really beautiful though. I, Albuquerque, yeah, New Mexico, is. one of my favorite places I've ever lived. But mm. then we moved um, and we left every time we'd move. It seems like I'd leave a sister behind, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> so when, when we finally moved to um, Memphis, uh, oh my God, I, re I just remember my dad had already moved uh, to Memphis. He was already working here. And so my, my mom and I, she had, she had this Datsun B210. I remember nice. we were driving 40. We were like, you know, just my mom and I and, and the two dogs. Right. And all crammed in this Datsun B210. Oh, <laughs> and, and I just remember we, we showed up in Memphis during, it might've been Memphis in May. Okay. I just remember that we came over the bridge and there was just like, it was, and it was like, I think it was like 10 or 11, 12 at night. And man, it was just like, there was a party happening downtown and my mom, like, but, I, but before we got to the bridge, I was like, mom, you know, I was going to start high school. And I asked you the dumbest question in the whole world. And I was like, mom, were we, cause she said, we're going to live on the outskirts of Memphis. And I mean, I can't imagine, you yeah. know, what yeah. it was going to be like. I just knew that Elvis had a house here, you know, right. and he had just passed away <laughs> that like the year before. And I'm like, so where we move, do the people like when I, where I go to school, are they going to be wearing shoes? My mom <laughs> laughed because she had to pull over. She had to pull over in Arkansas somewhere and just, she was snorting. She was laughing so hard. She was just like, oh my God, you are ignorant child. You know. <laughs> so you were not from the quintessential musical family. Mm -mm. I mean, so, so how the heck did you get into me? I mean, obviously how the, what well, you were in Memphis, you got into music, but I mean, like what, what's, what what brought you into music? What made you think you could do this? Or wanted um, to do this? So when I lived in Albuquerque, I had a really great uh, choral teacher. Oh, I was okay. in, in, in choir in middle school, and I just loved her. I loved my teacher. And she thought that I, she, I guess she zeroed in on me. Yeah. And she was just like, you know what? The Albuquerque Civic Light Opera is having auditions for uh, Oklahoma, and I think that you should go audition. And so we lived in this place called Four Hills, and the audition was like, Four Hills was like literally at the base of the Sandia Mountains. Okay. And, and, and I remember my dad, he's like, well, I'll drive you, you know? And it was like, I don't know. I think we were in the car for like 30 minutes driving. It was like completely on the opposite end of town as close by the Rio Grande as you can get. I don't know. All the way over to and, one hill. Yeah. And I auditioned and I mean, like, I think I might've been the youngest person there auditioning. Um, and I'm, I could see my dad crying 
He had never heard me sing. I kind of, I kind of kept it a secret because yeah. my two older sisters were kind of mean. <laughs> well, not me. Well, you know, like how older siblings are. They, yeah. they like never cut you any slack. They're, you right. know, they were both. Oh, dudes always think, or people always think, oh, dudes, you know, dudes are the mean ones. Sisters can be bitches, man. And they were, they were straight up. They were rude. They, they, they would make fun of me. So I would, I would privately make, yeah. you know, imitate people, um, you know, an opera voice, uh, whatever. I used to love um, Edwin Hawkins singers. Oh, happy day. Oh, I mean, man, I would yeah. just, so I listened to all the music they were listening to. And then my mom and dad, like they grew up on all that barbershop, big band and uh, old standards pop and everything. And yeah. and my grandmother, she was like a little, she had like this little opera voice. So like I had lots of different influences that I would hear, you know, and so that's what got me interested. But that was the first thing and it bit me. Auditioning for that show bit yeah. me. I knew right then. And my dad had an he he had the op- option of either going to Denver or Memphis, and they came here to check out the music uh, scene wow. at the high school. And they were like, "This one's the best one." Okay, and that's what that's what did it. I'm always so fascinated with singers because as a guitar player, it's like, well, you can play in the style of Chet Atkins or Steve Cropper or Eddie Van Halen or Les Paul or whatever, but as a singer you are born with voice a and do you take voice a and develop that as far as it can take you or do you listen to Mahalia Jackson and and whoever any of your other heroes are and try to imitate them and create a new style for you, a, a new voice cuz you have such a signature voice so is your signature voice your voice or is that amalgamation of all your heroes or is it both I guess I think it's both because you know you I mean if you listen to lots of different singers or just even people talking you you are a product of your environment right yeah so if you're a product of your environment and you're digesting that your little ears you know are digesting all that yeah and so whatever it is that your ears are being fed and then it makes it through into your soul and your heart right. and it grabs you and you're just going, Oh my God. And you, you know, the hair stands up. I mean, I am one of those weirdos that when I, from a very young age, I loved opera. It, it messed me up bad, I man. It that. made me cry. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can I can totally believe that. See, you're being influenced all the time, like like we all are, by everything you hear, whether you hear whether you know it or not. Right, and and so I always thought it's like you know, I like I have a very eclectic palate, and um, and I'm proud of that because yeah, you should be. It's like I you know I appreciate all kinds of genres. As yeah. long as it's good. I sure. like all music as long as it's good. And and you know if it's not authentic because yeah. you know when someone's dialing it in. It doesn't matter what genre it is. 
if you're not bringing your soul, if you're not connecting to it on that higher level, then you're just, you're just a trick ass. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're just faking it, you know? I love that you say that because there, there's ex singers, artists in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that I go, I understand their place in the pantheon of music, but I, but I hate it. I love what, I mean, I understand that yeah. they're super talented, but right. I hate that stuff. Right. They're technicians. Yeah. Now, and, that, and that, that, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say there's a place for that. It's, it's to be admired. I do admire people Absolutely. that are technicians. I do. I can't do that, yeah. but I don't want to do that. Right. The frustrating <laughs> thing to me has always been there's so many songs in your head because at our age, you've heard about five trillion songs. I remember being in a writing session one day and the other person I was writing with got up to go get coffee or go to the bathroom or what have you. And they came back and I went, dude, listen to this. And I played him this guitar riff thinking it was the greatest thing that I'd ever been a part of. And he looks at me and he goes, that's awesome. Prince calls that purple rain. It's like, Oh crap. You're right. That's exactly what the, and I had ripped off Prince note for note and not even, and it's, I'm going like, well, no wonder I thought that was too good for me to be able to write that. Cause it was so good. Well, so how did you get your first, like your first, paying gig your first working gig in memphis i mean you got there when you were just getting into high school and then i'm sure you were also in high school choral and stuff starting out yep i did and i and i had the theater bug as well okay so since you know like i never thought about just being a singer that was a foreign that was a foreign thought to me i because in where i was going to high school it was very you know, all about the arts, all about, um, you know, choir and uh, theater and art, you know, the just all kinds of art. Right. Yeah. And so I it, just just being a say like I had no idea. And, and I think it's a I think it's a crime for any city, any city in the in the public schools or private schools. I think it's a crime to not spend time teaching children about the local culture. Mm. Don't you, you know, it's like when you don't know what's in your own backyard. I mean, all I knew was Elvis. I didn't know anything about stacks, even though that is, is I'm just so unawares. Yeah. I loved all the music from here, but I didn't know it was from it here. Was from there, until, yeah. yeah. Until after <laughs> I was out of high school because I was so involved with theater and and operetta kind of stuff, you know, I was just going down that path. Hmm. I mean, I auditioned for the Met, uh, and and my first paying gig, it, it wasn't in Memphis, it was in uh, New York City. Um, wow. because I had moved to New York city to study. And then I, I auditioned for the light opera of Manhattan and I made it. And so I was, I did the light opera of Manhattan for about five and a half, six years. Man. Is that what they call loom? I believe. Yes. Loom. <laughs> Sadly it closed, but it, that was just another era, you know, just, uh, but it was cool. It was great training. 
So was that also, I mean, when you went up to do that, because I'm completely, obviously ignorant. I mean, you've heard me try to scream. When you're talking about opera and stuff, are you, do you audition for that? Is there 20 people auditioning for the same role? I mean, so, okay, so you do that. So yeah. did, you know, did you know how to audition when you moved to New York City? Yes. But okay. no, like, okay. you know, it's something you, it's trial and error. You, uh, you know, there's classes on it. You can, or, you, you know, usually your vocal teacher instructs you if, if okay. you have a good one, they'll, they'll help you along, uh, you know, good vocal teacher or a coach, uh, you know, but it's just kind of it learning, learning as it happens, you know, well, yeah. that didn't work, you know? Uh, or, oh, this was great. You know, it, the one thing that it always uh, cracked me up looking, you know, looking back at that time in my life was, where did you get the balls to think that you could sing this song? <laughs> you know, yeah. when you, you can't, I, I would, I would do something because it's, it really touched <laughs> me, but it's like, but that's not, you're not going to get you're not going to get hired for that part because you don't look that part. Right. That was a whole other education. So it's like going in there, I would always get typecast as um, the, the prostitute. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm totally serious. I, I'm, I'm because I didn't look like an ingenue. I, you know, okay. red hair, big boobs. Yeah. And, and the ingenue was always petite and blonde. And right. that was not me. And I was brashy and still am. And, you know, like, <laughs> so even though I was like a lyric soprano, they kept giving, putting me down in the mezzo roles because I looked the part. Right. And I would always go in there trying to be the ingenue and, and singing the ingenue part. And they would just look at me like, yeah, that's not going to happen, honey. <laughs> so it took me a while to figure that out. So then how did you get from there back to Memphis? Well, that's how I got to Memphis. <laughs> um, Somebody ought to write that. Right? It could be a really good song idea. Could be. We to, um, let's do that. <laughs> um, I was, um, I was living with, a, a guy at the time and, and he was from here and we had this on again, off again relationship and he moved back down to Memphis. And, uh, you know, I kind of hit a wall, uh, in New York city, just kind right. of, you know, it's just like, I felt like I wasn't really getting anywhere. I, what thing, you know, I, I, I made it to like off Broadway and I couldn't seem to get any further yeah. than that. Right. And it was just so hard to live there to afford it. And I was just like, man, I just, I'm tired. I'm exhausted of trying to make this. And I, I feel like I came back to Memphis with my tail between my legs mm. because I was the, I was the star of high school. You know, I right. was supposed to make it really big and, and I didn't. And so I came back to Memphis and I remember, you know, I did some, I sold cable. <laughs> and I, I waited tables and I worked for a model and talent agency. And then one of uh, 
this so this girl that used to go to my high school she she graduated before I did uh she is Duck Dunn's niece oh wow yeah and so she was in a band and uh she was friends with this girl uh named Gwen Spencer and she was like you know she they were songwriting partners and so she's like uh, she called me. She because we have an alumni association from our high school, and okay. still, we're people are very tight. You know, like Chris Parnell from SNL, he went there. You know, Missy oh, Pyle, actress. So there's a lot of different people in the arts overall. Um, but so she called me, and she's like, "Hey, you know, I moved back here. I was living with my mom and dad. Oh my god, so awful to move back in with your parents after you've tasted freedom." Right. For, for a long time. And then all of a sudden you're five years old again. You know? <laughs> and you tasted freedom in New York city. Yeah. 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 And they, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was like, Oh my God, having to answer them. But I got a call from Joe Beth <laughs> and she, uh, she said, do you give voice lessons? And I was like, yeah, you know, I can. And she's like, well, you know, Gwen is, and I knew who Gwen was because she went, to high school with my boyfriend, the okay. on again, off again. So I showed up to this audition or not, I'm sorry, audition to the, I guess it was an audition. She was, they were auditioning me for vocal coach for Gwen. Okay. And you know, we're going through it and all of a sudden both of them leave the room for a minute and they come back and they were like, um, would you be interested in, in singing lead? in this band and I'm like really they're like yeah we think you're great I'm like oh okay I mean what why not I mean what else am I doing let me see let me check with work to see if I can stop waiting tables (laughs) you know (laughs) do I have to get anybody a coke in this gig or am I okay yeah so just kind of crazy just it just kind of fell into my lap and and then that led to, you know, lots of rehearsals with them and putting yeah. the band, the rest of the band together and trying to get signed. And, and then I met, you know, we were at Ardent Studios. Yes. Uh, and that's where I met my husband. So. Yes. And he's a, he's a pretty well-known little engineer kind of guy. So when you said you're uh you started in this band, would you say, I mean, had you been in the studio before or had you just done just purely from everything choral up to Broadway and back, just all live stuff? I had done one studio gig okay, and that was in New York <laughs> and, and it was in a home studio, like on someone's, you know, shitty little mic. Right. And, and, but even though, you know, by, by engineering standards, you know, yes. um, I thought it was the most wonderful thing in the whole world. Listening yeah. back to it now, it's like, oh yeah, that wasn't that great. But, but hearing myself uh, in headphones on something that, uh, yeah. so I, I was always so used to having to project as an right, opera right. singer because there weren't mics. So you had to reach the top row. Right. And so it was such a different thing. Like I remember the first time singing into it, not 
I almost blew my own head off. And they were like, you, you know, might want to kind of, you know, dial it back a little bit. <laughs> Again, you're learning as you go along, but it's just like instantly like, oh, oh, this is the kind of singing where you're under a microscope and like you could hear like, you know, uh, you know, any oh, kind of, yeah. you can hear every little, like the piece of dust across the room hitting yes. the floor. <laughs> they can, that, that kind of microphone can hear you breathing yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like so different. So you're such a great singer and a great writer. I mean, would, would you call it, how do, how do you see yourself primarily musically? I mean, we'll get into all the, the Academy stuff here in a, in a second, but, but just as a, as a musician, how, how, what, what, what would you say your forte is? Ooh. Uh, I, know, that, I mean, that's an uh, unfair question. As a singer or as a songwriter? As, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I would say my strong suit is a singer and I'm an interpreter. And that is my, okay. to me, I feel that that's my strong suit. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Do you, do you think you have um, strengths and weaknesses as a singer and you know what they are all the time? Yeah, and they change as you age. Okay. You know? That's great. It's kind of, uh, I, I've noticed that, especially through the pandemic, too, because uh, I I kind of took for granted, you know, my that my voice, like, I would hardly ever have to warm up because I was singing so much. Every day I was singing. Right. So yeah. my voice was literally at my command, you know? It was... really. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And so then when the pandemic happened and I was just like, oh, this is great. I'm, you know, the first part of it, the first two weeks were great. And even the first month, right. It was like, oh, I'm getting a vacation. Right. And then after that first month, it was like, this sucks. And I wasn't singing. And then I, re I remember probably getting a gig, an outdoor gig about six five to six months after the pandemic. And I went to go play the piano and sing. And I had literally forgotten how to play certain chords. Like it, it was, I had Just to really gone. work. Yeah. And then yeah. the voice, the voice, I was freaking out because yeah. the voice was like a new baby foal trying to stand up, you know, like, and it couldn't. And I was like, oh my God. And I would always, as a vocal teacher, I was always telling people, the voice is a muscle. It's just a muscle like anything else. And you exercise it or you can over-exercise, you know? I mean, and then here I am, I'm put in that position and I'm yeah. going, yeah, just teach yourself, Susan. <laughs> Man. Yeah, it is. It is real <laughs> muscle memory. I was going to ask you about th that with, with your husband, obviously being just a massive engineer and everything in there in Memphis. How did, um, how did uh, COVID 
treat you guys. I mean, not only financially, but emotionally when you couldn't hook up in the studio and sing with your friends and play with your friends. And he couldn't, I mean, I'm assuming that you have a pro tools rig in the house and you could do some vocals and he could do some work and stuff. But I mean, how did it, I mean, you are purely music. So how did that affect you? Well, so it, it affected me. It affected both of us and in different ways. Um, Jeff, uh, my husband, Jeff Powell, he made the move a few years back to where he was doing less and less studio work and more and more vinyl mastering. Oh, that's, oh, that's right. Yeah. So like it, it just kind of, it was just more like it, there was a point where he was kind of doing 50, 50, right. Okay. But it kind of just by the time, by the, by the time the pandemic hit Jeff uh, and we were worried about it because it's like, Oh my God, you know, for like that first week, it was like, what are, what are we going to do? And then, and then of course there was all these folks that were getting in a pod you know, yeah. being creative in their little group. They were renting homes and they were creating and writing and, and then they were putting product out. So while Jeff was just steady, just like, it's like nothing slowed down for him making, cutting vinyl, right. nothing slowed down for him. And I was s- stuck at home and, um, <laughs> I was like, okay, I guess I'll learn to be Donna Reed. You know, I guess I'll, you know, darn your socks and cook your eggs and pack a little lunch and do your laundry, make the bed and vacuum and go to darn. I'll just be here ironing underwear for this afternoon. <laughs> Would you like light starch? <laughs> Yeah, so that was just kind of at one point, you know, um, probably a year into the pandemic, he was like all excited about something, uh, a record that he was cutting. And I, I remember breaking down into tears and he goes, what's wrong? And I'm like, you know, I'm really happy for you, yeah. but you get to have a career and I don't. Yeah. And I'm jealous. And I'm mad at myself for being jealous because I love you so much. Yep. But, but you're, it had, you know, it's like it, it, it really flipped me out Yeah. <laughs> as it did so many people. It, yeah. You know. Well, especially it's, it's not a, a six month hobby for you. It's a way you've been, it's your whole life for the last 20 or 30 years or whatever. So, I mean, that's a, that's a big punch in the gut right there. Yeah. So you've sung with everybody from Skinner to Al Green, Keith Richards, Memphis Symphony Orchestra. I mean, obviously you don't shy away from much. (laughs) Is there anything busy? (laughs) Is there anything you would ever turn down? Because I mean, obviously there's stuff that you maybe go, well, you know, that's not I'm not that's not really my wheelhouse, but there's nothing that you would ever go. I don't have the stones to do that. I mean, you would, you would go in there and punch it out with anybody, wouldn't you? Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm, I, I am down to, to try, um, as long as, uh, 
I have to make sure before I commit to something, like if somebody calls me to be featured on something and I'm, and it's a live situation. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have to really think about it before I, I say yes. Like, okay. And I, I, I feel like I can, I can be successful in this. Like I, right. I know that I can put my best foot forward and I won't embarrass myself or anyone else. Sure. Like they won't be sorry for hiring me. You know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, but you know, I mean, the studio is a different thing. Cause if you, if, I mean, I've, I've sung on rap records, sung, you know, I mean, it's just, <laughs> just all kinds of uh, genres. And, and I like that. I really, really like that. Do you, um, have you ever gotten a, not gotten a gig because you're better than the person that they need you to sing with? <laughs> If you know what I'm saying, and you don't have to give me any names, but if they hire you to sing with this pop act or whatever, and then they get you in there and you're smoking the act out of the room. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have not been, I have not been, I, I was told that I was going to open up shows for certain people and they didn't have me uh, go on tour with them. And that happened a couple of times and it really, that really stabbed me, man. I was, cause I thought, oh, I'm, you know, they're They're going to help lift me up right. into that, you know, position that I was yeah. trying to get to and, and it didn't happen. And uh, yeah, man. And then, but then, you know, I, I've had, you know, other people that were like, uh, as a feature, they would hire me to be a featured artist, but I was so, um, a tune, you know, it's like, it's a different thing when you're being featured and you're stepping out or, or you're singing lead or you're a background singer and you, you have to really, when you're being background, you got to be background, Yeah, you know? And so, uh, but I've had a couple of people, you know, that were like, no, I, I want you to kick my ass. I want mm. you to give everything I want. That's why I hired you because you're better than me and you're going to make wow. me sound better by, I want you to, I want you to go for it. And I'm like, really? They're like, yeah. So that was, um, you know, I mean, you just never know how, how much freedom, you know, what, do you really want me to go to town on this or do you want me to kind of stay on the perimeter? <laughs> Man, that's a, that's a person that's a very, very secure in their, uh, in their own, where they are, their own headspace, man, to, to tell you, you're better than me, so come out here and kick my ass. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it was uh, stunning to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've been uh, deeply involved with the Mississippi, or Mississippi, the Memphis chapter of the Recording Academy. You've won the premier player for best female vocalist in 2003. You're emissary of Memphis music and you've been recognized by the U S house and entered in the congressional record. I mean, that's just a partial list of stuff you've done. That must make you feel like, Holy cow. Every something you were doing was really worth what you were doing and what you had to go through to get there. That's, that's just a phenomenal list of achievements. So congrats. Thank you. What, how, how does all that come about? I mean, I don't even. Um, it's just other people just, I mean, 
with the recording academy, um, you know, Jeff was involved with that back when they called it Naris. Right. Okay. And before, before they changed the name to the recording academy, but um, you know, I served on the board, and I I never even thought about running for president uh, or trustee, um, and so it, it did make me feel good that you know people thought enough of me to uh, yeah. elect me for the, that position. And I've been doing that uh, in diff, you know, either on the board or as president or trustee uh, for a while now. And, uh, and the accolades, you know, um, I mean, it does feel good, you know, when your peers or, you know, the people in your town, they think enough of you to, to let you know that they think highly of you. So it, yeah. it makes your, makes your, your chest a little bit bigger, you know? Yes. Yes. So, so what do you, what do you do? I mean, are you like just lobbying with the recording Academy to make sure that Memphis artists are known and getting their fair due or, or what, what, what is your, what, what is your goal with it, with the whole thing? Well, um, the Memphis chapter is a very regional chapter. Okay. And um, they all are, but ours really acts like a regional chapter. Uh, it's, it might just be, it, it's called the Memphis chapter, but it, it really entails, it, it's all of Arkansas, all of Mississippi, all okay. of Louisiana, parts of St. Louis and oh, you know Missouri and then and part of Tennessee. So it's very regional. And, and so my whole thing was, uh, I mean, of course I'm, I'm a big proponent to help, uh, other musicians in my city, but I was really as a president and as a, a trustee was really care. I, I really care about, you know, the well-being of all musicians everywhere. Yeah. The, the Recording Academy is, uh, you know, it's 12 chapters throughout the United States. It's really, yeah, we, we go out there and we have this thing called Grammys on the Hill and, and uh, mm-hmm. where we are trying very hard, you know, to, uh, to change some of those antiquated laws. And, um, but it's, it's more than that. I mean, it's uh, certainly more, it's, the Recording Academy to me is way more than the Grammys, the yeah. award, because yeah. I mean, I think about music cares. That's really that. Oh, man, the, yeah. Yeah. That, that, and, and, and everything that we do, uh, with, with, uh, you know, on the Hill, all, all that work, that's where my heart is. It's like, if, if we can try to, you know, <laughs> Uh, make it better for everybody um, because it, it's just kind of crazy that that musicians are still even the even the ones that are doing well they could I mean they're still not yeah. being treated there's still things that are antiquated that they're dealing with and it's just not right so well I saw on your Instagram that you you put up a post about uh, American Music Fairness Act can you talk a little bit about what that is and what it's not? <laughs> oh Lord, I'm being put on the spot. Uh, you might have well, to clip this part out. No, because I I will say right now I think there's people like 
Spotify and everybody else that are genuinely out to, for a better word, rape songwriters and musicians. And even when they, when, when a bill comes down, this is what they're supposed to pay. Right. They immediately turn around and sue for an even lower rate and all that. And that's, I assume that is what the American Music Fairness Act about is for people getting paid for their work. Well, right. No. And I, you know, just might've been a month, a month, month and a half, two months ago, um, Boo Mitchell um, from Royal Studios, um, he, you know, was, he was in a hearing and uh, with several other people. I know Gloria Estefan was on the hearing, but they, they were talking about this. And it's, I mean, it's just ridiculous that the media, it's like, you know, all this money is going over to Europe. And because we didn't sign the Treaty of Paris, there's no reciprocity. So all all these, all these musicians and artists here, songwriters, whatever, you know, when their stuff is played over there, that money is just staying there when it should be coming back here. So us good little tax paying folk can, you know, (laughs) have some money to, to, (laughs) to pay the rent with and taxes. But it's just, it's just kind of unbelievable to me. Um, uh, I, I don't even get me started. I, no, I, I know, I, and I don't want you to get yourself in trouble. No, but, I mean, but I, it just—it kills me. I mean, like I just—just just literally last week or two weeks ago, I was looking at a, a royalty statement, and uh, and I had written a song, uh, co-written a song uh, for Catherine McPhee on her first, you know, oh, on her debut record, and and just on the Spotify stuff, it was like. 28,000, you know, streams. And I think I made $2. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, I could buy a Coke or half a Coke. Yeah, I was going to say, almost. (laughs) I have have my first BMI check sitting right there for can't take the honky tonk out of the girl. And it's for $2.43. And no. I mean, that's my whole BMI check for my first time. And I remember later when I started making money, there was streaming and it was 34,000 streams or something like that. And the money I got was like 3.4 cents. And I just thought, well, I, I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand this. And it kind of hurts my feelings. You know, one of my best friends in the world is Scott Borchetta that big machine. And he's always, he always wears this jacket and on one sleeve, it says music has value and it does has value, man. Music can make you smile, make you cry, make you laugh, cure cancer, make your dog dance. I mean, there's so many wonderful things, uh, music having value and you know, a loaf of bread has value too, but a loaf of bread was a nickel in 1950 and now it's two bucks or whatever. Songs haven't gone up like that. And why is that? I don't know. It makes me mad. I feel a little stabby talking about it. I know. I know. (laughs) Stabby. (laughs) I hate feeling stabby. Well, no, I'm not trying to put anybody down. I just, I'm like you. I just, I just kind of, yeah, I want to get equal pay for equal work. 
Well, it just kills me when they say that when radio says, well, they, they can't afford it. That'll put it'll put all these mom, it'll put all these mom and pop radio stations out of business. And I'm thinking, oh, um, well, just to put your little mind at ease, uh, you know, you're putting me out of business. I had a long <laughs> I had a long talk with the radio stations. We had this little group called the Dixie Chicks when I was working with, at Monument Records. And over award after award after award after award, they would forget to thank people because they'd already said thanks 12 million times. Right. And right. one country radio station who was one of my dearest friends in the world and still is said, uh, hey, you know what? Your girls forgot to thank uh, Country Radio at that last award show. And I said, you know what? We were just at the uh, the, <laughs> the Radio Hall of Fame ad, you know, and uh, there was four guys added into the Hall of Fame, and not one of you thanked country record companies. And if you think about it, without country mm. record companies, you would all be talk stations. So... Damn that yeah. right there. There you go. So I go, maybe we should team up on this or something. I don't know. I don't know. You tell me. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, um, can I ask you a, a weird question? Please. A, a weirdly technical <laughs> question. Okay. <laughs> because you are a singer of, of so many different genres and you know your voice inside and out and you know your voice so well. Do you bring your own mic with you if you're in a, in a, in a studio session and do you bring your own mic and is that mic different when you're playing live? Um, okay. So in the studio, I basically just let the engineer, uh, okay. you know, kind of make that call. I, I have in the past warned certain people just like, cause when I know what they're calling me for, if they're wanting like, super like high end belt, you know, that balls to the it, wall. Like, yeah. Like that, but it could literally shave your head into, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, yeah. So that is, you know, you might want to, you might not want to use a delicate ribbon mic, sure. <laughs> you know, yeah, that, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> mama might break it. Um, but we, Jeff bought a, a really great uh, mic for me, a lot, and we used it a lot back in the day when I was doing a lot of that kind yeah. of background singing. And that was a, a Sony, is that a Sony 8000? Sony 2000? Something, there's a couple thousands in there. I, I don't have it in front of me, but I, it, it's like, yeah. it's kind of, you know, it, it can take, it's a very dynamic uh, Mike, and yeah. so it, it could take it could take a jet engine, right? And then and then down to the nuance because that was a problem. If I'm singing lead, he was having like okay. other people were having, other other engineers were having it too. So yeah, but now I'm not doing so much of that. It's it's more it's more kind of a steady thing. So live, I just man, I just use a fifty eight. Yeah, I like it. Dude. Works for me. You can take a fifty-eight and put it on a voice like yours or a guitar like mine, and it's gonna sound good either way. <laughs> it was good enough for Gigi Allen. It's good enough for me, man. 
There's nobody that's going to hear this that knows who Gigi Allen is except you and me. There you go. And that's okay. So you've like, you've, you've done studio work in Nashville, LA, New York, Bahamas, whatever. Is is there a difference in studio attitudes? Are, are all of them, you know, 10 to one, one to three, you know, whatever. Or is it just like, did you see the, the documentary under the volcano air studios in Montserrat? No. Oh my goodness. You have, you have to watch that. I'm, I'm right. Oh my God. I'm, I'm, yes, please I'm write it down. down. You and Jeff will both love it. Um, is it say that again. Under, under the, the volcano. Okay. Got it. Air, air studios, AIR. In, in Montserrat, and it's just about that studio that George Martin built. Oh, my God, I can't wait. And it it's okay. absolutely phenomenal. But, I mean, it, it, that's one of those studios, like, you know, I've gone in and done demos and blah, 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 and you've gone in and done a million awesome records. But these guys, you know, the, the police would check in and stay on this little teeny island for a month, you know, and I've never done anything like that. But would, did you ever find the, the differences, the real differences in studios, or is it everybody just trying to get a job done? I, I think that there definitely is differences. I yeah. mean, it, and it's not just the place, because, again, your environment, that is key to setting a vibe. Right. But the the people set a vibe too. Whoever's running it, you know, I mean, you can have a really cool place, but the people there are shitty. Right. They they make you feel bad like like you're intruding on them or something right. and you're there to work. It's like, I'm sorry. Uh I mean that's happened. So and then and then you go someplace that's kind of like maybe it's a little bit run down. But the vibe is killer, and yeah. they got some really great gear, and they're bending over back like you can get a really good headphone mix, and and they're just doing everything to make you happy. Like just they're just nice, you know. They're not yeah. overly. They're not like it's like God, calm down, like right. But it's just comfortable, you know. And I think I think being comfortable and, and feeling like you're you're accepted the minute you walk in the door. That's the first thing for any musician, but especially yeah. for singer, because my instruments in my body. <laughs> you know, and if, and if I'm if I'm uptight, uh, yeah. you know, you're yeah, gonna how, hear it. How dare you want to use the bathroom? We cannot put up with this. <laughs> Leave a nickel. <laughs> <laughs> and bring your own toilet paper, doggone it. <laughs> well would you like to do my thinking and drinking lightning round? Oh, Lord. Well, you know, I'm not, you might laugh at me, but okay, I'm going to do it. Okay. All I'm going to do is ask you quick questions and I want quick answers. Okay. Because okay. You're, a quick, you're a quick person. Okay. And if your quick answer takes 10 minutes, that's awesome too. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite book or who are your favorite authors? Oh, God. Um <sighs> Ah. <laughs> oh, God. Why would you ask me that? Okay, we, don't, we, 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 can, we can skip okay. that one. We can skip that Okay, one. all right. Are you a bath or a shower gal? Shower. There you go. 
What's the last gift you gave someone? It was a bottle of champagne. Nice. Do you believe in Bigfoot? Why not? <laughs> I believe in Littlefoot. Why not Bigfoot? I believe in Chickenfoot. <laughs> what was the first concert you saw? How old were you? And did you get a t-shirt? Okay. I remember this visit vividly. My sister Debbie took, we were living in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and okay. it was uh, Peter Frampton Comes Alive. Uh-uh. And yeah, baby, that was my first concert. And uh, and everyone was smoking the doping. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't get a t-shirt, but my sister did. <laughs> but it was great. What a great concert. Ooh, loved it. Love that. What's the last movie you saw in a theater? Oh, um, oh, what's the, oh God, Tale, not, Tales of Hollywood? What, what Wonderland? What is she? Oh, I know what you're talking about. Uh, the, the, uh, Manson, the Manson. Yeah, the Manson, yeah. I, why can't I think of the Crap, damn I name? I can't think of that either. Yeah, that's, but that's the last one I saw. Sweet. What was or is your nickname? I have a couple. I know one of them. Yeah, Honey Mouth. Yeah. One. I listened to that album this morning, by the way. I freaking love it. By the way, <laughs> all of your albums are just magical. You've got, what, five or six albums? Five. The five. So what, what, are your other, <laughs> what are your other nicknames, if you want to say? Xana. Uh, uh, Xana. Zana from high school, Zana, Suzanne, Susanna, Zana. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's uh yeah. Red. red. That's so obvious though. Come, come on, Red. Come on, Red. Um what song do you wish you would have written or played on? Sang on. Oh my god. I mean, your There's head is, so many. Full, yeah, your head is full of so many songs. So many. I, man, I, 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 I really love um, Gimme Shelter. I, mm. I, God, man, I just, I, I wish I would have sang background on that. And uh, <laughs> what's, yeah. God, man. I, mean, I wish you would have too. <laughs> damn it. Damn. So good. <laughs> Did you see it? Did you see the stones on this last tour? No, I didn't. Amy I didn't. and I went. It was one of Amy's bucket list, and and we went. And it was like I think that night we spent eight hundred dollars, maybe. And it was like, well, there you go. That's the stones, man. They're eighty years old. <laughs> that was them, and still fucking rocking it out. I oh mean, yeah. Oh my god. Oh, I've seen Mick- a bunch. Mick is unbelievable. They had the ego ramp going 50 yards out and he was running all the time and he did stop and put his hands on his knees and breathe hard and, and yuck it up with the crowd, you know, like he was really huffing and puffing, but it's like, Holy crap. He's a machine, man. That that dude is, he's a badass. (laughs) He is. If you were to be cremated, where would you want your ashes spread? I would want them scattered at Lake Marine. 
Where's that? Canada. Really? Yeah. Something cool must have happened up there, huh? That's just my my mom's from Canada, and we used to go oh, there. Oh, okay. Picnics, yeah. That's great. It's beautiful. Yeah. What would you be doing if you weren't a fantastic singer? Um, I would be doing uh, I would be doing flower arrangement. Seriously? Yeah. That's awesome. I love doing flower arrangement. Or cutting hair. I like doing that too. Yeah, they're both very creative. I love that. What are you listening to for fun these days? Um, I am listening to Mark Edgar Stewart right now. He literally just dropped a record. It's so good. Um, my girlfriend, oh golly, he's a Memphis artist, but he literally just dropped this record and, um, blue eyed bitches, uh, they were the producers on it. Blue eyed bitches are, uh, Don Hopkins. She's an engineer. And uh, Reba Russell, she's a blues singer, but they're together. They do production on folks and hmm. it's a great, it's a great record. I love it. Awesome. I love it. Awesome. I will check that out. So what's next for you? Where are you headed? What are you doing? Well, that's a good question. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm kind of all over the place. Um, I've, I'm excited that I got a couple of co-writes on uh, Nikki Bloom's oh, yeah, yeah. record coming out, uh, I think the end of April. Um, and uh, hopefully there'll be some session work coming up at Matt Rossbang's new studio. I'm, I'm excited to get in there. I love working with Matt. He's amazing. Um, let's see. I'm hoping to go into the, recording studio soon uh maybe cut a single cool oh um because i got this guy that i like that does vinyl so i'm thinking he might hmm. i'm thinking you know he might give if you I a sleep rate. with him if i sleep <laughs> with him i might could get some good you know lacquers cut <laughs> i've never heard anybody say might get some good lacquers cut how do you yeah. uh how do you decide on the songs on your records? Are you writing all of them? Are you co-writing all of them? Are you picking favorites? Are you finding songs all over the place? Um, I, you know what? I'm so all over the place, and so I, I have uh, I have dyslexia, and it is really like uh, made its way during the pandemic. It's really fragmented my mind, hmm. and I sec I'm second guessing everything. And, and so I really don't care where the songs come from. I yeah. used to be, I, I felt like, I, I was like, I want to reclaim this. I don't have to be a songwriter. I don't have to write all my songs. Yeah. I, I, I'd like, I like to write. I enjoy it with other people. I don't like writing by myself. Yeah. It's a lonely process to me. Yeah. I just I'm don't get, you. it bums me out and I never finish the shit, you know? See, and it, See that somebody asked me, do you like writing by yourself? And I said, no, because I never know when the song is done. 
I'll second guess myself until the second coming. I don't know when this song is done. Oh my God. See, this is just a clear, a clear sign that we need to get together again. <laughs> Man, we're, we're only like 200 miles apart. Come on. We can make this happen. Dad gummit. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I could drive to Nashville and hit another damn pothole. Oh, well, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. You don't want to do that. So where can, where can people find you social media and such? Well, I'm on the Instagrams. I'm on, I don't really do Twitter, you know? I mean, mm. Twitter's kind of like, you know, if I'm feeling mean and I want to get real shitty with somebody, <laughs> um, I'll get on I'll get on Twitter. That's the place for, you know, being mean. And I don't like being mean. I don't want to be that mean. So, I, oh, I can be. No, I would say you're catty. You, you can, I would say you could be catty, but not mean. Right. Oh, I know. I mm. um, I don't like that, Susan. I don't like her. I, I, but I I have lots of fun on Instagram, and you can find me on Facebook. And I have a website that's just you know it needs it needs work, but it's susanmarshall.com. No, I don't even remember what my damn. I don't even know. It might be Susan. Oh, that's Susan Marshall Music. See, that's how little I use it. There you go. <laughs> it's, that, isn't that, it's pathetic. I'm just, so you know what? I didn't sign up for all this shit. I just want to be a singer. I just want to sing. I'm with you. I'm with, I don't even want to have to tune my own dang guitar. I just want to play. <laughs> <laughs> right? I don't even have to bring a good instrument with me. And like you said, yours is in your throat all day long. But I, I got to carry craps around. I love it. You. He would never, he'd go in the studio, he would hand his guitar to whoever was around and say, tune this for me. Wait, who I was you, you dropped out real quick. Who was that? Teeny Hodges. Teeny oh, Hodges God. from the High Rhythm. He wrote Love and Happiness. Oh, Take Me to the River. Um, Just a I love little it, songs. Here, tune yeah. this for me. No, but he would always, he would never tune his own guitar, ever. Never, ever. I love it. Well, I'm going to get out of your hair. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, you're so sweet. Thanks for, thanks for making an old gal feel special. Oh, whatever, whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, stick around and I'll tell you how I really feel about you. Okay, Ian. All right. Thank you. Thanking and drinking. Thanking and drinking. Come on, get you some.